0: Welcome to the Deep Dive Spirituality Conversations podcast. I'm your host, Brian Russell, and today it's a real privilege to have as my guest, Beth Fisher. Beth is a longtime corporate consultant, motivational speaker, and life coach. She has really powerful lessons that she's drawn off her own life, as well as off all the different persons that she served over the years. She's a cancer survivor. She's a marathoner. She's the host of the Remorseless podcast, and you're going to love this conversation. I highly recommend her two books uh, Remorseless, Learning to Lose Labels, Expectations, and Assumptions Without Losing Yourself, which is part memoir, but also has some deep coaching and lessons in it for us, as well as a workbook that can be a standalone that helps you take actionable steps to find your truest identity so that you can thrive and flourish in the world you're going to love this conversation so let's jump right into it hey beth welcome to my podcast
1: hey brian thank you i'm happy to be here i'm super excited to see you again yeah it's really really good to hang out
0: well thank you and you want to talk about your kind of memoir coaching book uh, remorseless learning to lose labels expectations and assumptions without losing yourself fantastic book and so if, and this is the having read your book this is almost this might just be the only question i ask you but <laughs> when you when you kind of look back over your, your spiritual journey that you've had uh, what would you say if you're just going to nail lay, lay out a brief outline what what would the what would be the key moments if you're just going to pick a handful that really shaped you so that today here you are we're speaking together you're now a coach consultant and you're an author Uh, so what, what would you say were the key moments in your journey that's led you to today
1: yeah so there were a few and i would say well i've always been inquisitive i've always my favorite question still to this day on the planet is why why does that matter why is it like that why do you think that why is that okay So I, as I joke, came out of the womb asking those questions. And as you can imagine, it was off-putting to some people who didn't have answers or didn't want to spend time. So that was my, those were my formative years. That was the, I was on the receiving end of a lot of that, eh, we're not going to talk to you. Doesn't matter. Stop asking your questions. The older I got, the turning points and the key moments for me uh, really stemmed from the hypocrisy that I would see. I would learn things. I'm very familiar. I grew up Catholic, very sentimental very familial, very ritualistic, like that mattered to me going to mass every Sunday. And I had that part down, but I always wanted to know why. So if we're going to talk about Jesus, why, what did he do? What, you know, so on and so forth Was very, uh, rooted very much in legalism. So I am a rule follower. I say that loosely, I don't like rules, but if there's, there are rules to winning as an example, or if Mm -hmm. there are rules to be followed because an authoritative figure says, so I'm all in, uh, hypocrisy was what sort of really led me to those key moments, Um, I would hear things like thou shall not. And yet those who were saying it did that. Okay. Uh, how serious can they be then? Um, heartbreak for sure was something that got me there. Um, divorce was another key moment. And when I was almost 25, I was diagnosed with leukemia. They said, there's no cure for this type of cancer. You are not going to make it. You're going to die. I thought that was punishment for divorce. That was what my theology to that point in my life that's what my ears heard so those were the the really big ones for me
0: yeah and let me and, and so when you when you have the book remorseless it's so interesting as a title um and i know your podcast has the same title and i remember seeing that thinking that's really interesting because it's it is a i mean you're a christian and when you hear remorseless you usually hear you always think of a um, like, that'd be like something like a criminal, like, I, I'm not, I don't feel guilty about anything I did. I have no remorse for my actions. Mm -hmm. So it seems interesting. It's like a spiritual label. I mean, obviously I read your book and I love it, but that that seems kind of like almost a controversial title. So what does remorseless mean for you? And again, for those of you watching on YouTube, you got remorselessly (laughs) biblical right over your shoulder, which seems really funny too. So, so talk about that word, why that is, why you've used that, uh, uh, for your podcast and your book and your workbook.
1: Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Well, I think you nailed it when you said controversial. So again, sort of came out of the womb, very very controversial as well. And or at least that's how people projected, you know, thought that I was. And and I I to this day, um, love to be around people who question. I don't view people with different thoughts and ideas and upbringings and experiences as controversial. I view those folks as interesting. Tell me more, tell me what I don't know. So mm-hmm. as I was writing the book, I didn't really have a title for it. And it just sort of unveiled itself because for me, it is all steeped in guilt. Mm -hmm. Voices that I have made, bad decisions that I have not really thought through, the shoulds of life come from a lot of guilt. And so that's why when I coach, I really start to deconstruct individually as because I had to deconstruct religiously. Mm -hmm. Um, For me, religion ruined relationship, although it took me a lot of years to say that because I always equated religion to God. I am questioning, therefore, I must not be a a good believer. Um, I must not be a real believer. This is what believers should do. And I would always say to myself, my inner dialogue, I'd be sitting in mass in a pew, I'd be listening to father preach. And I would have thoughts that a teenager thought. And I would say to myself, well, if this is going to damn me to the pits of hell, but God knows what I'm thinking. He made me, but he knew me before. It was very confusing for me.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, and remorseless, the word itself means without guilt in spite of wrongdoing. Once we accept, yeah, we do wrong. Find me one person on the planet that has not done wrong, made a bad decision, not understood something fully, not vetted someone or something, you know, to the level that um, was able to be done. We are human beings, right? This is why Jesus came. So, if we can accept that, if we are believers and we say Jesus died to pay the price for our sins, well, therefore we by default must be sinful, doesn't mean we skirt the system and say, well, it's already done and paid for. Therefore, I'm just going to go out and do whatever I want. That is what spiritual transformation means. Once you understand that story further and have the acceptance, you just want to do better. You want to become more Christ like. So, remorseless for me is always a reminder to my viewers and listeners and readers you know what? Show up in your life without guilt, in spite of wrongdoing. Be okay with the wrong that you've done. It's gotten you to where you are today. We are always to learn from those experiences. And I know, trust me, you know, firsthand going through a lot of doozies. When you're in it, one, you don't want to be, two, you always say, how did I get here? Uh three, you just say like I don't deserve it. You go through grief. You were in the stages of grief. I would, I can't tell many times I would say, how is this my life? (laughs) This is not what I signed up for. This is not who I am how did I get here? So remorse for me is always a reminder, just to be who you are and not feel shame for the guilt that you've done, the wrongdoings that have occurred, learn from those and just be the person that you're created to be without all of that.
0: Oh, that's awesome. Yeah, I really I I, I, lo- I love your answer. And I just want to read, I want to read two little brief sections out of the towards the end of the book. The first section is like from 205. It's the second to last chapter then just read I want to read the very conclusion just to give people a sense of, uh, of, of kind of where, where we're gonna to try to go. <clears throat> you wrote, just picking up what you just said, for all the times I stayed trapped in guilt, for all the times I hid the honesty of who I am, for all the times I said, I'm not a very good Christian, I now finally understand there's nothing more for us to do other than show up as our authentic, messy selves and have a real relationship with God. Doing so will bring about the most profound sense of freedom you can imagine. You'll no longer walk into a room and wonder if you should be there. You will no longer wonder what others are whispering about you. You will no longer feel the need to conform to beliefs about yourself that are untrue. You will no longer settle for less than you deserve. And you will no longer under any circumstances need to hide. Instead, you will be free to show up and walk out of the rest of your life exactly how you were created to remorselessly. Love that. (laughs) And just to bring it home, this is the the last uh, paragraph, essentially. The real you is perfectly enough. God made your authentic self exactly as he intended. He expects you to be amazing and assumes you're wonderful because you are. As you continue on your journey, may you always know and remember there is only one name tag that matters, loved that's one label that no one can ever take away, <clears throat> you know? And, and I mean, that, that's awesome. And I think everybody's listening is going to say amen. And, you know, and obviously you're not trying to argue that there aren't literally wrong things to do and stuff like that. But you're basically just trying to say at a deep existential level, we have to get to the point where we accept the fact we're unconditionally accepted and that there's nothing that we can do to alter that one way or the other and just be hundred percent loved and you know the phrase i mean maybe this is ohio phrase i always like to say become the person you're created to be and i noticed that's exactly <laughs> i mean you signed when you signed my book and you wrote that i'm like well that's really funny that's exactly probably how, what i might actually sign so there may be a northeast ohio saying but it's it's so true right being the person we're created to be so how do we get there? You start off in, at the beginning, and you talk about two words: forgiveness of yourself, and then dealing with the God word, right? Uh, so, how does do those two things? How does forgiveness and just God, as God is, how do, how are those both stumbling blocks to getting to where you end up with? I mean, so how do you, how does how do those keep us from living remorselessly?
1: Yeah, well, I love the question because I think so many of us, um, you know whether we've been brought up in the faith or not, quite honestly, because I am a believer that the Holy Spirit is indwelling us. And I remember from a very young age, I had sort of questioning, like, what if there was nothing? I had big existential questions, like at three, four years old, had nothing to do with intellect. It was just this gnawing of, you know, I just, I really think we all have that. And so regardless of the faith or religion, or if you went to church, didn't go to church, any, all those things, there is something that says, I I have self-condemnation.
0: Yes. We,
1: we get in our heads because somebody on the playground said you're stupid. You are, you're you don't matter. You're a terrible athlete. You are ugly. You pick pick a label, pick an adjective. And so we hear those words out of the mouths of people that are also questioning the same things that we are, but yet we haven't come alongside each other in the world long enough to actually be, you know, allies. And so what happens is we hear that and we start to condemn ourselves without understanding fully what the real question is. Mm-hmm. And so it's a matter of why am I stupid? Why am I ugly? Why am I fat? Why doesn't he or she like me? Why, why, why am I fill in the blank? And today I can say in retrospect, having you know lived enough life, why did I even entertain that? But the right. thing is, we, we all do. We all do. And so what we've got to do is get to the, the place in life where we have people who then say the opposite to us enough times, right? I say it in the book, when we hear things enough times, when somebody, perhaps a wrong marital partner, a wrong parent, not wrong parent, right? We have parent, but somebody who is loving us unconditionally tells us something enough times, we begin to believe it. We begin to say, well, if this person is supposed to love me unconditionally, then what they're saying must be true. Therefore, why am I so, again, fill in that blank. And the self-condemnation is the thing for me that had to go first. And that was the hardest thing to let go of because I am such a performer. I am such a performance-based acceptance person. Um, this is embarrassing to say, but after a divorce or two, when I would finally sort of say, okay, I'll go to dinner. I won't, you can't pick me up. I'll, I'll meet you at a restaurant, but fine. I guess this is a date, whatever this is. Um, I I really just did not understand how to be in a relationship because i was in my head thinking i didn't deserve any decent treatment Mm. and it took early 40s into my early 40s and, and therefore i also had guilt of why am i not picking up on this more quickly in life like look at these 25 and 30 year olds who have these rock solid marriages and then we go down the whole comparison trap conversation as well so all of the externals is what i'm saying It's all of the external noise, all of the external comparisons, all of the things that we think we know based on what our internal narratives are saying and have always said that we have to just quiet. And to do that, as God says, right, be still and know, be still and know who I am. So that's when I finally went back to school and studied, okay, who is God? Because the God that I thought I knew as a Catholic girl was just an angry God all the time. I couldn't out, I could not perform well enough to get God to love me, right? That was my task. Well, if I get one more, A, if I say one more Hail Mary, if I don't do certain things that I was doing as a high school bored girl, precocious in Northeast Ohio. I mean, if this, then that I talk about that in the book too. It's very transactional. That's not the definition of unconditional love. So when I coach, I often, you know, there are folks that come to me and say my relationship, or even perhaps like an organizational structure at work. My boss is nicer to me if I sell more. My boss is nicer to me if I am on time. Like if then, right? I had to really undo societal expectations. I had to question at an even deeper level, which meant for me, I had to really stop being around people as much as I was. And that's hard for me. I'm an extrovert. I love people. And now what I do is when I'm in those circumstances, I still question, I still have very deep conversations, but I do it from a place of certitude of saying, I got it. I'm already accepted. There is nothing I can do. I It's, it's pretty narcissistic too, to think we have the power to make God do anything, right? Like, well, if I do this, then God will, like, he's going to listen to me, please. You know, once I understood the story and the narrative was, so I, you know, went back to school and studied who God is, his character, his nature, looked at it from different angles, looked at it from different spiritual practices, just really understood the thread of 66 books of a story. Had somebody in Catholic church told me this thing was a story, I may have read it sooner. (laughs) I, I didn't know. I thought that the Bible literally was alphabetized, a very literal black and white thinker. Say 10 Hail Marys, great. I will literally say 11 and I'll get saved extra. That's how I thought. And I think we all go through as our human existence, the feeling of it must just be me. Certainly, I'm the only person who thinks this way. And then we have this level of guilt and shame and embarrassment that rises up. And therefore, we don't talk about it. And I think today, right, in 2021, thank goodness. And it's it's been coming. It's long overdue. We talk about, you know, the every 500 years and the schisms and all the things in, in life. But um, I, I think today we are now hearing and being a part of a much longer and overdue conversation. And it's hopefully not going to stop. And and so I'm a big gender equity person. I'm somebody who really says, finally, I feel heard. I was mm-hmm. asking these questions at age four, five, six, seven. I'm 47, mm-hmm. 47, 48, whatever I am, but a long time. And now I think we find this safety in numbers. There's safety in numbers. When people say, me too, mm-hmm. I thought the same thing. This is what my church taught me. This is how this person hurt me. This is what I thought, me too. This is what happened to me. We share experiences, experiential spirituality to me. I used to be told was not allowed. That is not what God says. This is what it says. I can read, but I could not apply. So I hope that again, I get a little bit off track so I get riled up about all this stuff because it's so important for me to say, God and, and who we are, the self-condemnation forgiveness. We've got to forgive ourselves. We have to really believe that we are forgiven. And that is God, right? He's the ultimate. This is why he sent his son. So if we truly believe that and we can say, yes, Jesus, I believe in you. I believe what you did was for my sins. Then that means we're forgiven, overdone East, West. That is it's over is not remembered. So if we live like that and live that out, we can then have the freedom and the confidence to say, I'm gonna make this decision knowing I deserve to make a good one. Knowing that the decision I made when I was 15, is not part of this thought process. It's not, it's not going to be a stumbling block for me anymore because I made the same mistake mistake multiple times, just to be sure, I guess, but you know, overachiever. Um, But the thing is, it's like, when we do that, we have to say my mantra now, my narrative is, no, don't go back there. That is not a part of this conversation. That is not a part of this conversation, this decision, because that is not who you are today. It's a part of your story. It's informed your character today, but you've always been this person. Now you are authentically showing up and leaning into that. And when that happens, it's just freeing because you don't owe anybody an apology anymore. Not a church, not a parent, not a former spouse, a present spouse. You just don't owe anybody an apology for being who you are. That's the most freeing gift. We can give ourselves because that is exactly what jesus gave to us
0: that's that's uh that's so that's so powerful so as as a coach and again when you read your book you just have um i mean you're so transparent and you you know you share the, your positive things and your negative things it's all there so it's it's really you know, it's really remarkable see so that you've had a chance to process the past and now it's a, a narrative that you know ends up with like those paragraphs that i read <clears throat> how do you how do you help people that have had difficult circumstances, whether it's a, a divorce, whether it's, uh, you know, feeling guilty because they had sex with somebody and then married them and they get stuck in a bad relationship or they were just, or maybe they had a period where they were promiscuous. I mean, or it could be uh, feel guilty because they stole something, whatever. So how do you help people go back and see, because you, you, you know, you pretty much lay your whole life out. And then what you just said though, is that, that's not part of today's conversation, but you've put it away in some way. So how do you help people to essentially come to grips with their past, no matter how good it was, or even how troubling it was, in a way that gives them empowering resources to live today and into a a new future that's hopefully a 2.0 or a 3.0 version?
1: Yeah, yeah. Well, part of it is when I went and got a certification in coaching. It substantiated for me that the way that I go about things, just by default, is an actual way to coach, which is powerful questioning. Mm-hmm. Really um, helping people answer difficult questions. I was always the girl, this is why I love Barbara Brown Taylor right on her mm-hmm. website. It's like, I'm the person that says things that other people won't, or I shouldn't, or whatever. Um, I'm always the person that asks questions that perhaps other people, including the coachee, is thinking, but they're afraid to ask because they don't want to answer and so for me when that when you create a safe enough space to do it that's first it's all about relationship Mm -hmm. which is why i think a lot of us cower from god and we're not in a really authentic relationship from god because we don't want him to see us fully much like in a counseling session or a coaching session or a relationship for that matter we don't want the person to see us fully and yet we know god does we can't hide we can't outrun this so i just sit with people long enough to say what rendered you stuck? What was the first thing that you remember as a child where you felt shame? It's almost like that Eden experience. Now we can talk about whether the Garden of Eden was metaphorical or et cetera, but it's the experience where somebody feels something for the first time that's a new thought of, I, I'm i not good. Yeah. And they didn't really do anything wrong, but that feeling envelops them. So I say, take me back there. Let's start there. And it's not so much like a counseling session because trust me, I'm the first person I'll tell you I ran from counselors forever. I'm like, I'm not sitting on a couch and paying you $120 an hour to hear stuff I already know. Thank you, I already lived it. Um, okay, I've I've changed, right? Spiritual transformation and growth happens over here too, so I can't be that hypocrite who's coaching people and not doing it. I do that. I, I say it in jest because humor has gotten me through a lot of things in life.
0: Yeah, it's
1: And I and I do think that there's an element that if God created us, and there are many many funny people in the world. Okay, well then therefore humor is holy. As long as we're wielding humor in in a way that is uplifting and encouraging, just like words, right? Blessings and curses. I can use my words to tear somebody down, which I used to do as a self-defense mechanism, or I can wield them to lift others up. So in a coaching situation, when it's a safe enough space where people can say, this is who I am. I'm quirky. I'm stoic. I'm funny, whatever those things are. And there's no judgment on the other side. Great. God made you too. I love this about you because now you are okay with who you are. So I just really walk people through a lot of deep questions that help them get to the point, sort of the baseline undergirding of, wow, maybe this is why I'm showing up every day like I am, why I'm faking it, why I'm pretending, why I'm not doing the thing that I know I really am called to do that brings me joy, that lights me up. It's just an acceptance and an awareness, not in that order, an awareness and then an acceptance, and within the acceptance, that phase, it comes um, with a lot of sort of ownership. Um, Blame shifting is a big thing that people do, right? I'm like this because my parents this, I'm like this because church that, you know, I'm not exempt, I did the same thing. When you can forgive others, constructs, institutions, parents, people, if you can forgive other people, which we're called to do, and I'm telling you, it's the best thing we can do for ourselves. It's not necessarily to, you know, assuage them of their own guilt. It's basically to say, I let this go. I let this go so I can move forward. It's too heavy for me to carry. But if we have the propensity to do that for other people who have wronged us, how can we not do that for ourselves? How can we not forgive ourselves? So I really just work with people in a coaching environment to say, you don't need to apologize for being you. There is no guilt. Don't be guilty for being you. That's the craziest waste of time I've ever heard in my entire life. And yet we all are guilty of it, right? So-
0: And that's, I mean, the heart of your work seems to be around guilt and shame. And I mean, they're not, those are two different things in a way, but they're obviously, they get tied in really tightly to each other with, and I, with identity. And, you know, when I read your story, you have, again, there's so many, so many things like, like when I look, when I'm just talking to you and it encourages me, uh, because I know like I almost lost my faith just going through a divorce. Um. And that's that's a whole that's on all the other podcasts so we can get into all that stuff and people are really interesting go back and listen to like episode eight or whatever if they want to hear my whole, whole personal story but um and I, that was my thing and i know what that did to me but I, you know but i even though and that was and i feel bad about that sometimes that i almost lost my faith because i had so much support I had so many resources and it still it still didn't didn't cut it for me but when i read your book like you have a million reasons why you shouldn't be a person of faith as far as I'm concerned. But you are like, and like you know, I just, again, I don't remember where it is, but it, you had gotten through, gotten divorced. You go and tell your pastor looking for some help. And I want the person tell you something almost ridiculous that, you know, you got to wait six months or something and you can never have sex again. I think that that's what it was. Something like that, right? Yeah. So literally that, that was the resources that you got from a spiritual mentor when you were in pain. So, so how did you keep your faith or, I mean, or regain it or whatever that, because that seems like you have a million reasons that you could be remorselessly atheist could be the title of on the (laughs) sign behind you or something.
1: You know, honestly, I think I'm just that kind of person. Part of it is wiring. And part of it is I have sort of this stick to itness that I'm like, I'm not going down fighting. Yeah. Yeah. Or, or if I'm going down fighting, it's not going to be without showing up for the fight. Right. Like, yeah. Because there, there's a, an amount of grace that needs to be extended. I used to be a person that um, sort of my defense mechanism was I'm always right. Like I got on my own nerves really about the whole thing. <laughs> I was just like I don't know. I'll argue to argue just because I want to prove my point. I I can look back now and say this was all God's doing. Yeah. And I used to be the person too that was like, ah, oh, don't give me the cheesy cliches. I don't want to hear them. I I am a walking cheesy cliche now at times because I think we all get to a point where God's like, really, okay. Okay. I'm going to keep pursuing you relentlessly because this is what unconditional love is. You just have to believe you're worthy of it. And I didn't for many, many years. And so at that point, when I went to the pastoral care person and I'd been in that church for a long time, my husband left me, it wasn't by choice. I said, what do I do? And I got thrown legalism
0: yeah, yeah. When I,
1: when I really just needed and a hug to say, you know what, you're, you are okay as a human. I'm so sorry. You're going through this. I love you. We love you. What can we do? We're here for you. You know, none of that. It was check, check, check. And, and this is when my fighting spirit, I mentioned, I didn't want to fight. I didn't cause I, you know, in the middle of a divorce, you kind of argued out anyway. Right. Yeah. I was over it and I was weeping and I'm not a person that really shows emotions easily, but I was done. I was so spent. And when those words came, I just immediately started to cry. And I thought, I don't know what to do. I don't know what to do. Should I, should, should I stay? I don't know how to handle this. And then when he said to me in follow-up, oh, and PS, you can't teach. I was teaching Old Testament, New Testament. I love to teach. I love to teach people scripture. And he said, that's a six month waiting period until you're healed. And that's when my fighting spirit found its voice and said, and what chapter and verse might I find that one in? <laughs> Again, to the hypocrisy, you can't have it both ways. If we're going to teach people that Jesus loves us, then we've got to show people the love. How is anybody supposed to believe that we are loved by a God who we're made in his image? And this is what, what we're displaying. This is the image that we're portraying. It's a poor rendition, let me tell you. So like, no wonder people say, you can say it all you want, you Christians, Right boy, you really are showing the love of Christ. And what are we going to say? Not everybody. I'm not saying painting it with a a broad stroke, but what I am saying is when we individually have experiences like that, a divorce and people are shunned from the church, pick a thing. It doesn't matter. A a loss of a loved one. I shared with you too, that when I was in the hospital, I had a bone marrow transplant when I was 25. I was the only person that walked out of there alive. And I was making friends with everybody there. We We were all attached to our chemo poles I was knocking on doors, trying to rally the troops. I mean, it was, you know, we were sick, sick, sick. And I I said, what's your story? Where are you from? Who are your people? Tell me about you, right? And I got to know them each very, very well. And again, keep in mind, my theology taught me I was there as punishment. Mm -hmm. And when I watched every single one of those folks whom I befriended die in front of me in that 35 day stint that I was in, and I was the only one who walked out alive, I thought I don't deserve this.
0: Yeah,
1: I don't deserve this because I'm the bad one. I sinned. If I am a terrible sinner for being divorced, what did they do? And I got myself into this legalistic battle of sins are weighted. No, they're not. No, they're not because we don't have more mattering or worth than each other, right? And so therefore, nothing that we can do is is a bigger sin to God. God is the all forgiving, all loving, all powerful. God. So he has the ability and the want and the care to forgive any sin we've ever done. It doesn't matter if you stole a Snickers bar or in our society, what killed somebody. I mean, I say that to, to give two very right opposite ends of our human mind spectrum. So I just didn't want to give up. I just found my fighting spirit a little bit to say, I think there's maybe a crack in your thinking. There might be hope for me. If, if that was a clear violation of my black and white thinking, like, you can't do this, you're terrible, this is how Jesus is going to see you and PS you can't teach. When he said those words, I found my voice and I thought this is maybe a loophole to say that maybe this other stuff isn't exactly right either. That's what did it for me. If what you're going to say to me I know is not in the Bible. Then Maybe your interpretation of what you're telling me over here isn't exactly right either. So let's explore that a little further before I just call myself a terrible, no good sinner, loser, and God hates me. It's wrong. It's the wrong thing to do for ourselves. And so I just am a constant encourager of people to say, I know right now in this midst of a life transition, of a loss, of a decision, of something that happened to you that you had no ownership in, no agency, no say so. This too will pass. It's so hard in the moment to believe it because we think we deserve it. We think we're worthless. We'll never get through this. We'll never overcome. There's so many stories out there of people who have gone through so much in life and and still are the most peaceful believers in Christ you'll ever meet. And and that's just, we see all the stories. Look at Stephen, right? Pick people in the New Testament. We can just go through and, and see those examples of every single thing that we go through. None of it's new. We might have new technology, but the human existence of our choices or bad choices. I mean, King David, as an example, one of my favorite dudes in the Old Testament, I'm like, this guy had everything, right? He was like ruling the the whole Mediterranean, all the wealth, all the women, all the stuff. And he was still fairly miserable inside because of choices that he had made in his past. He was still haunted by those choices. So we're not alone in this whole thing. And I think that gave me the most solace of, of anything just to say, I'm going to find the fortitude and I'm going to keep going. I'm going to figure this thing out. And if it can't be figured out, I'm, I'm going to keep trying every single day. As long as I still have breath to breathe, I'm doing it because that it matters. And I believe that is how we are supposed to become more Christlike and transform and grow and change spiritually, emotionally, physically, all of it. It's all intertwined.
0: How do you help people to get to be, um, radically honest with themselves because again when i read your book and it's like i'm i'm considered fairly transparent but i was just i was like wow um you know i'd love to be able to write a book like (laughs) remorseless at some point that'd probably be my autobiography i guess or whatever but how do you help people to open up to the truth? Because I mean, I think one of the key principles of coaching is, you know, progress depends on telling yourself the truth at some level. And you certainly have done that. But how, how do you actually help maybe a client who maybe thinks they're cracked open, but haven't gone all the way? I mean, what what are some ways to help a person to just deal with the givens? Mm-hmm,
1: mm-hmm. Uh, again, I go back to deeper questioning. And, uh, and uh, so I can, I think, read people pretty well. And uh, Pat answers sort of like automatic answers, maybe perhaps an answer that this person, this individual is always given when asked that very sort of expected question. You go to counseling, you know what they're going to ask you for the most part. Yeah. And you just, much of it is time. You know, it's certainly not like, Hey, we're going to solve this in 45 minutes, Right. but it is okay. I hear you. I see you. I value what you're saying. Now let's see if you can see you, you can hear you and you can value yourself. And when those things align, it's it's really a, a great process and just progress for me to see unfold because it's helping people understand they're worth it. Mm-hmm. They're worth tearing down that wall and they're worth saying, this is who I am on the other side. And you don't have to like it. You just have to treat me with respect and compassion and dignity. And, and that's enough. And so it's really just kind of sharing that space and saying, I, I do see you, I hear you. Let's talk about whether you see you and hear you.
0: How has that been a shift for you just does something really interesting um like I, i've always thought and you mentioned barbara um taylor, taylor brown or brown taylor for your her name is but um, um that you know sh- that she'll say stuff that other people won't say and i've always thought you know one of my favorite coaches and this isn't a christian coach but it's rich ledfin and he always just says um a coach isn't your friend a coach likes you and may even love you and it's going to hold space for you but if you're going to have a coach you have to be willing for them to say stuff to you that nobody else would ever have the guts to say. Yeah, okay. And so how have you learned? Because I think this is interesting, just knowing your story. If you were always worried about what other people thought about you, it, it's a complete 180 degree shift to actually be able to be courageously, remorselessly <laughs> Honest with the person that you're talking to, like you might say something like if you're coaching me, just really just call me out on my BS, and that's what I would hire you to do basically. But how hard is that for you, or do you have any problem with that anymore? Do you still like, I hope the client likes me, so I'm not going to say this thing? Or, oh, I see,
1: no, yeah, yeah. I know, um, no, I have zero problem, <laughs> zero problem, <laughs> I do not hesitate. Um, and, and what's interesting is I never did either when I was able to couch it. As an example, I was in corporate sales for 25 years.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: So I had this sort of uh, ability to go into a room and I, cause I don't see people differently, right? There's, there's a lot of egos in boardrooms there. There's a lot of hierarchical structure. And I just thought, whatever I, your person, I, and not disrespectful, but in a way like that wasn't a wow factor for me. That was a, let's have a decent, compassionate, dignified conversation. And yeah. let's just be honest and transparent. So I would definitely call people out in a business environment because I was able to do it in a way that I sort of had uh, industry knowledge, right? Sort of expertise in this area. So I did not at all feel like there was a situation where I wasn't able to be respected with the word. Now, whether or not they took it, that's on them. I got to the point where I was like, okay, I can share this with them. I can be blunt. They can say, well, we don't need your product and service. I'm be like, I think you do. And here's why. How can you say that when you're losing money? How can you say that when the ROI of this is, you know, three months? Whatever those situations were, and, and facts back that up, I can do that now, in a very loving way, because I do have, I like to think, the same sort of uh, expertise. Because it's experiential for me. Again, I would, as an example, I don't go to a marriage counselor um, with somebody who's never been married. I don't go to a marriage counselor with somebody who's my daughter's age, who's 24. I'm like, really, please, please tell me how to live life, and I don't mean it disrespectfully. I mean it like. I know you think you know. Come talk to me when you've got 20 more years under your belt. There's something to that. I would much rather sit in a room with somebody who's in their 60s who says, Let me talk to you about empty nesting. Let me talk to you about retirement. Let me talk to you what it's like to have physical inabilities that I once had when I was in my 20s and 30s. Tell, I want stories from those people who've lived it.
0: Yeah.
1: I've lived that. And so for me, coaching and pouring into somebody, it's not from a place of, I'm just going to rain down my authority and tell you, it's, I know what you're going through, and I remember how it feels, and I want to share that with you in a way so that you can't try and pull one over on me, because I've been there. That's
0: good, yeah, and you know, I, I think I can keep this going for a long time, but I want to start moving towards a conclusion to the conversation here. You know, what, one of the big things that jumps off the book, uh, out of the book, is is labels and, and how problematic they are, so I'm sensing a lot of your coaching is for people to sort of deconstruct their own labels, and so I i just want to leave that kind of open-ended question how do labels relate to identity guilt shame and uh, and talk about because some of your best some of the best parts of the books are your and it's a recurring theme you're always going back to the things we say about ourselves or what other people say about us so what what role do labels play in our in in our guilt and shame and identity
1: yeah um for me that that's the biggest the biggest role um it's a matter of what have we heard and what have we believed And therefore, what have we done operating wise, believing those things? Mm -hmm. So so what I say, a lot of times people say, well, I can't believe I got in this situation or I can't believe I decided that. I can't believe whatever it is that they're going through. I don't know how to make this decision. Should I make a career change? Anything to do with like a life decision. I will say, well, let's talk about why you think you aren't this thing, this label, they're words. And so once I sort of, started to transcend the idea of the label itself. And we get, we peel that back and basically just say, where's this coming from? Let's start with that. So it's a matter of saying, you have the right to make this decision. You have the right to forgive
0: yourself. If you want to quit the
1: It's always asking that why, so, you know, for the labels themselves, I oftentimes have people do an exercise and this is in the workbook, which is sort of just like, um, dumping words onto a page, just completely free thinking, no grammatical structure, just get it out of your head and onto paper. And then look at it. What are are the own words? What are your own words that are recurring that you say that you believe about yourself? What about those are accurate? What about those are you showing up in the world and living like? And what about those words that you are reminding yourself who you are, are really inauthentic? Yeah, it's just you have to get those out there. You've got to deal with the things that you continue to struggle with because they don't just go away on their own. We've got to put the work in. We've got to deconstruct. I know it's an overused word, but if you want to build something back up and shape it into the person that you maybe perhaps you always have been. Then all the stuff in, in between, that's like the structure, is gonna fall down unless you deal with it. You've got to just just tear it down, burn it down, right? Burn it down, build it back up, and start with a lot of the things from the structural standpoint that have always been. But you've heard so many labels that you've hidden those things.
0: Good, it's good. So you're not necessarily, like, do you? You encourage people to have a metaphor for themselves or like if you got stuck on a label like you know like one of the labels I used to use and I took it as a comment for a long time was workhorse wow. and you know that was great got me pretty much everything that I have <laughs> but it gets really old after you know by the time you're mid 40s or let alone 52 and so <laughs> I've just I've decided I'm you know like I'm like okay I'm not a workhorse um I, I what i want to be now like, like i'm not the guy that'll run through a brick wall even though that's how i used to see myself i'm i want to be a ninja who uses minimum effective amounts of energy to be completely lethal that's so that's kind of how i shifted the thinking or i even thought used to call myself a donkey i mean a workhorse kind of a thing and i thought i heard somebody talking about a donkey and that donkeys actually just don't do anything they just stand around all day and eat grass and and, and so I, I think about that now so i just kind of play flip, played around with it I mean, again, I'm not asking necessarily coach me right now, but is is that would you push me farther than like reinterpreting labels that don't serve me, or do you actually try to get people to basically jettison them? Or I mean, so what what what's the end game with labels?
1: Yeah, both to rewire essentially, right? To to again sort of uh, reconstruct, reconfigure, um, but absolutely, especially it sounds like you're a person that used a lot of your own inner dialogue, right, to to perform, to yeah. show up, to do yeah, something.
0: It both helped me and didn't help me at the same time, right?
1: That's right. So if they're no longer serving you, I mean, you know, I've got clothes in my closet from the circa 1980s. Those are no longer serving me. I'm like, <laughs> those. they will serve something else, a different purpose. So we've got to repurpose. Because if we are saying that we are growing and being shaped into the people that God created us to be, great. But if we're moving forward in that capacity, then why are we still stuck back here? right? With the same old mantras, the same old inner dialogue and the same old self-talk. That's no longer serving us a purpose. It's not, it's not on the same trajectory as our growth, our spiritual growth. So I do help people. And I do have my own mantra. You know, I think, you know, too, I'm a marathoner. If I don't have a mantra in my head, it's hard to get through. You've got to have a lot of positive self-talk. And it's amazing when you replace the negative with the positive. Again, I know it sounds cliche and like, yeah, okay, whatever, but try it. I mean, for all the people that are sort of like the naysayers and I used to be one, but I wasn't doing it, and when I started doing, it, I'm like, well, maybe there's something to this.
0: <laughs> no, true. that's right. I'm a I'm a firm believer. I mean, I've used affirmations or, or mantras. Everyone talk about them to basically reframe my my own brain to make sure that I can really live into who I need to be to remind myself of who I truly am and I, I probably said this on my this on the podcast when you interviewed me on your show but you know I love that even that line God help me believe the truth about myself no matter how beautiful it is as a freeing thing I mean obviously and then you can lay things out so I use phrases like I am an ambassador of abundance to every single person that I meet each day um um you know, I'm a, a loving parent. Um, I love my wife. She loves me. We enjoy harmony, support, and beautiful days as we walk into a wonderful future together. I, I just roll through this stuff every day when I'm exercising, and I do advocate that. So, you do the same sort of stuff in your work as you're trying to essentially reframe or, or or actually like we're old enough back in the 80s we pop the old cassette tape in record okay. some songs but we only had one tape and so then you're like oh i like this other song better so you tape over top the old thing right
1: you got it that's the the best analogy it's a beautiful analogy yeah it's true it's like great this song was great when i was dating this person <laughs> he may have liked angel by aerosmith i no longer like it <laughs>
0: So we'll put a good, we'll put a new, a new song. on there. that's really good. Right. Yeah. I, I can just keep picking your brain, but let me just ask you a couple of other last questions. And this will be a little bit quicker and we'll kind of wrap up and thank you so much for the time here today, Beth. Um, what would you say is next for you? Um, is there another book? I mean, what's your ideal outcome? Is there something that like a book you're afraid to write? I mean, I can't imagine being more, <laughs> like this is pretty hardcore. So I can't imagine it's something you're really afraid to write, but maybe there is. So what, what would you say what's next for you?
1: Well, I actually do have um, a manuscript in front of an agent right now. So, yeah, well, almost completed, but um, definitely a proposal. So we're working through some of those stuck places. You know, writing a book is a long haul. Um, I was ill prepared the first time I wrote. I had no idea I was getting myself into it. I thought, wow. But at the end of it, you know, there's just this sense of relief. Um, So it takes a lot of time to get there. But I do have one that I'm hoping comes to fruition. And it's all about guilt. It's about showing up without guilt um, and I actually we have a lot of running stories in there. There's a lot mm-hmm. of, for me life analogies about crossing finish lines and so on and you know, consistency over the long game, but it's unraveling guilt throughout that whole process. And so, um yeah, I'm looking forward to seeing how that comes to fruition, what that turns out like because it's what I think is close right now may not at all be what you know a publisher an agent thinks is close. So there's that. and you're right. i afraid is the wrong word, but I am hesitant, I will say, um, to really go and use some of the language that perhaps, you know, comes to mind first, (laughs) let's say that, right? So there is something to, I love prose and I love really weaving a good story, but sometimes I have very off-color humor. So to answer your question, what am I afraid of writing? Probably that, um, But to me, I I have to wrestle with that a bit because I do have both sides. You know, I'm the girl I think I've shared with you who will tell everybody, I don't think you're going to hell for saying the word hell. I think that if you edify, I think if you lift others up, I think if you use your words to encourage that, you know, once in a while, some off-color humor is not going to be the end of the world.
0: It's good. It's good. And, and what does a typical day look like for you in terms of kind of formational or formative practices that allow you that really that would fuel you to thrive and flourish as you do your work for the Lord?
1: Mm-hmm. Um, so I get up pretty early. I'm at four o'clock in the morning and I have yeah coffee and journaling time. And really, it's just it's not like I'm in scripture. It's not like I I'm in there studying and here I'm in the book of John let's, let's write what, no, it's not like that for me. It's more of, um, that brain dump, as I mm-hmm. talked about things mm-hmm. that perhaps have been overnight. And I just, I do a lot of sort of applying like, oh, this thought popped in my head. Where do I know that something similar like this happened in the 66 books of scripture? And I might just write something like Esther, you know, name, like just names, just something to remind myself of what I was thinking. So I write that for the first 15, 20 minutes of the day. And then I run I, I am a mover. And so for me, all of my thoughts start to sort of percolate and just I I feel very close to God in nature. I feel very free. I, I'm a person that probably picked up on I don't like to be um confined by labels, by boxes, by constructs, or by tiny rooms. Like I need fresh air. I've learned that about myself over the years. Is that when I am outside and I am moving, it's it could just be a walk too. It doesn't have to be like I'm actually running fast or far. I'm just moving and I am. Taking in sounds and I have air. Air for me is freedom. And I just breathe and I sometimes just pray, sometimes Mm -hmm. out loud, sometimes in my head. Sometimes I'll chant like just certain mantras over just thank you, thank you, thank you. Very simple. I've learned that it's it's all authentic. It's and there is no way that you're supposed to be in relationship with God other than to show up and have a real relationship. So good. Yeah, people used to get me off the track with that a lot. They used to say, you're supposed to pray to God like this and really mean it. I'm like, but it's Friday. I'm tired. What if I don't mean it as much on Friday if I did on Monday? (laughs) Does he love me less, right? That's where my brain went. So now I don't make any, any sort of apologies for it. I'm just like, hey, God, thank you. Thank you, Jesus, for all you've done. Thanks for the day. Please be with me. Please help me to be a beacon of light. Please help people who are suffering and struggling. And I honestly think that that is enough
0: good well remorseless i like it uh one, one of my favorite phrases about like in marriage and relationships but i think it with just what you just described spiritual, spiritual formations like that it's like um i heard somebody once say um i don't want to work on a relationship i just want a relationship that works and yeah. and i think there's something really freeing about that and we make things too complicated with god sometimes that it's like uh, you no know, it's like you're already accepted just um be in relationships. So I just loved how you said that. What would be, and again, you got a whole wall of books behind you. Okay. I think yeah. that's really cool. You look like a professor. It's awesome. And uh, um, and so if you were just going to pick a couple books outside of the Bible itself that have really helped you spiritually, um, and again, these don't have to be Christian books, but you know, maybe they are, um, what would be the two or three books that really helped you spiritually?
1: Boy, yeah, I do do have a book problem. Um, so uh, when I started down this journey of deconstruction, I'll tell you the one that really made me think very deeply is I don't have enough faith to be an atheist. (laughs) I I loved that book. Um, I also, I mentioned Barbara Brown Taylor, uh, Holy Envy, uh, finding God in the faith of others. For me, it's about going outside of Christianity and saying, how do other people view God? Because that helps me then reframe, the only way I've ever known God. And this is the craziest thing. I'll never forget when I was sitting in one of my first um, graduate study programs. I don't know if it was a marriage and family counseling, which was ironic, but I think it was old Testament perhaps, but somebody said, what does Jesus look like just visually? And he was putting up pictures of, you know, an African American Jesus or somebody from the middle East. And this is how sometimes I naive just sheltered. I went Well, of course, right. But that's not how my brain had been shown all those years. So now when I really want to just be close and understand humanity and understand how to help others and understand who God is, how he transcends himself labels, I go right to finding God in in other, other faith systems. And also I really love father Richard Rohr a lot. The wisdom pattern was a big one for me. Um, Yeah. So those are, those are a few of my all-time faves.
0: That's really good. And, then, you know, obviously, I mean, my, I, I don't know how many Richard Rohr books I read when I was doing the Centering Prayer book. And it's obviously got a lot of wisdom there. So that's yeah. good. Yeah. Um, I guess last question, um, where can folks find you? What would be the best place to connect with you online? Talk a little bit about your podcast and talk about your coaching. Please. Sure.
1: Yeah. The easiest place where it's sort of like one-stop shopping is bethfisher.com f-i-s-h-e-r and you can there are links there to uh, the show which is remorselessly biblical and that gets turned into the remorseless podcast but you can again get there from from bethfisher.com and all my social links are on there to books resources um, links to speaking engagement so yeah that's where I am
0: okay well thank you and again I want to thank you Beth for uh, just being so kind to be on the podcast thank you for writing a really fantastic book, "Remorseless: Learning to Lose Labels, Expectations, and Assumptions Without Losing Yourself." Uh, this is a really powerful read that I, that uh, would be worthy of anybody's bookshelf. And in the workbook, I've downloaded part of the workbook. It's just great. it's got a lot of great coaching questions and stuff in there too. So I highly recommend your work. Thank you for doing that. Thank you for showing up so powerfully and hanging in there when maybe other people wouldn't have and and then coming on, I mean, and then just sharing your story so transparently, that's one of the, transparently, that's one of the things that's really refreshing about just speaking with you a couple different times is you don't always meet people that when you meet him, you just kind of get a sense that, okay, this person is exactly what they appear to be. And I think that's really cool. And that's a real compliment to you. So I'm grateful for the work that the Lord's done for you and for yourself, simply opening yourself up to, as you would say, becoming the person that God created you to be. Yeah,
1: thank you very much. I appreciate all those kind words and I love hanging out with you. So it's very nice to just be a part of all this. So thank you too.
0: Well, thank you, Beth. And thank you, everyone, for listening all the way to the end of this episode of the Deep Dive Spirituality Conversations podcast. Until next time, live by faith, be known by love, and be a voice of hope in the world. Thank you so much for listening to this week's episode of the Deep Dive Spirituality Conversations podcast. If you found this episode helpful, would you please share it with friends through your social media networks, as well as leaving a review to help other people find it? If you're interested in any of the resources mentioned, please check out the show notes And let me again remind you, if you're interested in contemplative practices, my latest book, Centering Prayer, Sitting Quietly in God's Presence, Can Change Your Life, is now available in paperback or on Kindle. Recommend ordering it off of Amazon. If you want to do a large order, I would reach out directly to Paraclete Press. Ask for Sister Estelle, and you can get some deep discounts if you're interested in buying say any quantity over of at least three or more copies, you can get good discounts directly from Paraclete. Thank you so much for the privilege of serving you, and we'll see you next time.